Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey, everybody, welcome to the binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest streaming releases. I am Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte, and we have four movies for you this week An American Pickle, Crip Camp, Spinster, and I Used to Go Here. And as always, we're gonna rate these movies on a three tiered scale, with Binge It being our highest rating. Consumer moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means... Quarantine is too short for that mess, although it does keep going. Jason, what is up with you? Well, thank you for asking. Uh, Well, you know, we're all responding to the state of the world in in different ways, and uh, we're all sort of handling it how we need to and creating the space that we need uh, for our own sanity and mental health. And I think, you know, we can all generally agree that, you know, it's it's a bad time to take on any any sort of major life decisions or moments, given all of the uh, sort of restrictions that are in place. So Scott and I figured there's really no better time than now uh, to decide to move to a new city and buy a house. Uh, because, you know, what could be breezier? Uh, what could be what could be simpler to comprehend in a pandemic than that? Uh, so here we are, and we are looking at, uh, relocating to Los Angeles, as I believe was previously mentioned on the show. And, uh, and we put an offer in on a house and it was accepted, but listen up everyone, because I'm about to impart some hard earned life wisdom to you. (laughs) This is exactly (laughs) the thing that happens. Good. (laughs) Um, if you are in the uh, if you're in the house buying market and you have an offer accepted on the house, you will want to celebrate and you will want to tell everyone you know. Here's why you shouldn't do that. Here's this little thing called inspections, and uh, and inspections can turn up things that may lead you to no longer buy that house, and then you'll have a whole lot of people who were just celebrating with you, that you'll have to say, hey, just kidding, it didn't work out. Uh, and, I, and we're not quite there yet, but uh, as, we're, as we are recording this episode, Scott and I are very much in limbo um, based on some findings from an inspection that happened just a few days ago. And uh, it is crazy. It is not fun. It is one of the most stressful things that uh, has ever happened in my life. I mean, you shouldn't have and, bought the house from Amulet. That's bottom line. I mean, I just like a house that tells a story. You know, <laughs> I, I like a house with character. I like a house with mood and tone. I like a house that could be like a movie was filmed here. Um, you know, so uh, and and that's and that's you know why before this we went for the murder house for American Horror Story and, <laughs> and again and and I don't know why we expected the inspection to not turn up all the dead bodies, but um, we had to walk away. And uh, so now we're at this new place and we are still figuring things out. But yeah, it's just it's really it's a really unique time to decide to do these things. And yet here we are. And part of it is honestly because we've been living in the same apartment for 11 years in this apartment with no outside space, like not so much as a as a balcony or a patio or anything. So uh, we are really wanting to go live someplace with more space since we don't know how much longer this quarantine is going to stretch on. 
Um, and uh, so we are willing to put ourselves through all this wild craziness uh, just to have that space. So, uh, and we are little baby first time home buyers. And so everything comes to us as a really aggressively unpleasant surprise. <laughs> Um, so that is what's up with me. It takes up my thoughts at all hours of the day and night. And so, and yet somehow I still watch these four movies, uh, although, <laughs> not, although not while paying the strictest attention, I'll say right now. Oh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> yes. Um, but anyway, Rebecca, what's up with you? I mean, I feel like my, my method of, of dealing with quarantine, my, my project, if you will, um, which is growing on my eyebrows. Has not uh, <laughs> been as tumultuous as yours, I'll say. Um, but I do have to say that first of all, what's what's been up with me that's been uh, on my mind is the the need to uh, apologize to our listeners for some of the shitty editing that I've been doing lately. Um, there was mishap um, on a couple of episodes where. In my attempt to erase Jason from the show completely, it just sped up the review. Um, mm. And that may have been unlistenable. And so thank you so much to Christine and the rest of our listeners who let us know. And um, I will not do that again. I will not fast forward Jason to make him go faster and in turn speeding myself up. I will just cut him out completely when he when he's being inappropriate. Yes. Uh, yeah, so so thanks for sticking with us. And uh, for those of you uh, who did turn off our last episode when it started to speed up toward the end of the fight interview, let me just tell you, uh, if you go back and re-listen, I know at times it can be uh, unpleasant, but I tell a hell of a story in the She Dies Tomorrow review. <laughs> 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 and uh, I was looking forward to having it make its debut on the, on the podcast. And uh, and now it's been somewhat besmirched by this uh, editing snafu. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so go back and just, you know, just just try listening to it again. It slows uh, back down. Yeah, it does. Yeah. In case also, yeah, for those of you who um, who did just abandon that last episode when it sped up, understandably, um, just know also that the that that snafu ends completely when the amulet review starts which is the last review of the episode so that one at least you can hear it's normal <laughs> it's normal average spoken speed although i will say when listening to the episode and listening to it all the way through with a sped up sound it sounded almost painfully slow when that happened <laughs> which is appropriate as was amulet <laughs> yeah that's true they did it on that's purpose true. Yeah, and all, all this whole time, you're just being very radical and experimental in your sort of approach to sound and editing. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's like a, a an embedded, I'm trying to give you like an immersive <laughs> review. Uh-huh. Yeah, you Josephine Decker reached out after hearing how much you love Shirley and was like, let's see how we can make your podcast weird. <laughs> uh, so now you're low-key collaborating with her on ways to really just think outside the box. And, you know, and I have to I have to applaud it. I appreciate the, uh, the vision. So I don't know if you all saw answers. your, uh, you know, computer cameras turn on during the review of the rental but <laughs> i thought that was very um terrifying yeah no i mean you were we we made a moment with that so uh so for that i applaud you but uh but yes thanks everyone for sticking with us uh and we will try to prevent that in the future while still bringing you quality remote recorded content should we get to the movies yeah sure uh, <laughs> yeah i guess <laughs> what about that house? No, um, the first movie this week is An American Pickle. A Jewish immigrant named Herschel Greenbaum works at a pickle factory in 1920s Brooklyn. 
One day he falls into a vat of brine and stays there, perfectly preserved for 100 years. When he suddenly comes back to life, he goes to stay with his great-great-grandson, Ben, in contemporary Brooklyn. I didn't hear a lot about this one coming out, and then it just sort of appeared one day. Jason, were you were you aware? Uh, were you hip to this? Uh, I think I'd maybe seen some reports announcing it uh, back in the day. Uh, this, I believe, has the distinction of being the first original film that was developed specifically for HBO Max. Mm. Uh, it is not their first exclusive feature film. I believe that was Bad Education, the Hugh Jackman movie. Um, but they acquired that at Sundance. So that was that was just made independently as a market title. This is the first title that was actually developed explicitly to be an HBO Max uh, original film. So and I, I think it and they they had originally had some plans for a theatrical moment with this, but certainly given the sort of the overwhelmingly niche nature of its, <laughs> its story, <laughs> I, I think it makes sense as an HBO Max original movie. This definitely feels like it was made for streaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, Seth Rogen plays both himself, at, plays both the character of Herschel Greenbaum um, and his great great grandson, in in what I thought the editing was flawless. I oh. fundamentally <laughs> forgot that it that it's the same person. Oh yeah, in terms of yeah, it's sort of like the, the dual performance special effects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were. It was very impressive. Like I'm always, even though like, I watched every episode of Orphan Black, and yet still <laughs> I am so like ooh. Whenever I see them do that, I'm just like, oh, my God, how? So and I think especially, you know, just especially when you are Seth Rogen, who is, I would argue, a somewhat limited actor. Uh, I mean, you know, he's he he he's he can be a very, very good actor. But, you know, he his range is 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 not he's not anyone who you would call chameleonic, unlike someone like Tatiana Maslany on Orphan Black. Mm. Um, So for you know, for him to have to be conscious of which version of himself to play in each of those <laughs> characters and to him for him to have to do take after take after take of, of both sides of every conversation between the two of them and to maintain each character in such a thorough way. Um, I think he did a knockout job. Absolutely. This is based on a short story. Um, by a novella Simon by, Rich. yeah, yeah. Simon Rich novella. And uh, also stars Sarah... S- uh, Sarah Snook from Succession. Shiv, old Shiv, who sadly is not in the movie very much. I was very yeah. excited when I saw her at the top of the at the top of the film in flashbacks. So if you're watching this as a Succession fan, just just get the Shiv you can in the in the prologue, and then <laughs> and then it's gonna be a long no Shiv journey from there. It is a bummer. Uh, the top part of the film, I think, is the best. You we start off um, being introduced to Herschel. In uh, what do you remember the name of the city oh, they God. live in? Some sort of just Eastern European mashup of letters. <laughs> <laughs> um, about how you know how hard life is, and then they 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 meet and they fall in love and they move to America and he starts working at a pickle company, um, and they have this American dream, uh, talking about how they will uh, have a strong family and a strong grandson. Come to find later after he's revealed from the pad of uh, the vat of brine that his great great grandson is uh creates an app and lives in his apartment by himself and is generally pretty soft i think compared to what herschel's expectation of of him would be (laughs) yes and uh simon rich says that he he wrote this from a very personal autobiographical place uh in which he uh he did his like 23 and me and he found out that he was like 99.4% Ashkenazi Jew 
and uh, and he was just and he suddenly was overwhelmed with what he described as sort of a, a really intense generational guilt. Mm. Uh, think, thinking back to what his ancestors went through and how much they fought and, and what they had to do to to escape and you know uh, the conditions in Eastern Europe and to escape the Third Reich and to come to America and and all and just you know build themselves up from nothing uh, so they could have you know their 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 subsequent generations could could live uh, the American dream. And he was just looking around his own life. And Simon Rich is a writer. He's was been a writer at SNL, and he was like you know, I feel like a giant disgrace to my ancestors. <laughs> and I feel like if they met me, they would want to beat me up. <laughs> and so that was the seed of him writing, uh, of him writing this story. And, uh, and yeah, it's really, it's really fascinating. It is, it is, it, it is very, very specifically Jewish uh, in a lot of regards, but it's also universal because of course we all have ancestors, you know, this being America, a country of immigrants, we all have ancestors that came from all over to be here. Um, and, uh, all stories of hardship generally, uh, and how they got here. And then, you know, many of us who are past, you know, a certain number of generations in this country are living arguably lives of pro- presumably more comfort than, uh, than our, that our hard scrabble ancestors. So it's kind of, a, it's an amusing sort of premise thought exercise to be like, God, what, what, what would my ancestors think of this life that I'm living? <laughs> Um, so with that said, I don't know that it's enough of a premise for an entire feature film. Uh, I thought this, this was a movie that to me, um, yeah, came out of the gate really strong, um, was hilarious in its explanation of the quote unquote science that <laughs> about the preservation oh, of Herschel. Absolutely. In the... <laughs> so, so funny. Um, and, uh, you know, and then, uh, you know, so yeah, this first act is really, really good. Uh, really solid. The second act, um, you know, has some highs and some lows. Uh, in terms of sort of this unlikely journey that Herschel goes on um, in becoming sort of perhaps a more of a, a public figure, um, and then the and then uh, and then his great great grandson knowing the ways to get him to say things that will make other people turn against him who are suddenly uh, in favor of him. Um, but then to me, like the the final act was just DOA. Um, mm. You know, it tries to end things in a in a, in a more sort of serious sentimental way and i was just not i thought it was kind of betraying itself in that way because i was like this is a this is an absurdist comedy um and uh i didn't feel like it was true to its tone by going so sort of uh yeah going so serious in the end what did you think yeah i thought that um when herschel is trying to make his way in in the 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 modern world and he's they're the same age right so uh Ben, the great grandson, and Herschel are the, are the same age because he's been preserved perfectly for a hundred years, <laughs> and so he comes back as this like you know youngish man, ready to with his like same list of enemies and his uh, same ideals as uh, made sense in nineteen twenties, what like rural Ukraine or Russia or whatever it is, <laughs> um, you know, and it there's hilarious. Uh, the hilarious introduction of like technology and uh, the way that modern people respond to him. So it you know makes fun of the the Brooklyn you know appreciation of uh, oldie timey outfits and right. uh, his pickle his <laughs> DIY pickle business. Yes, and, but not too much, which I appreciate. I was like, I was like, oh god, right. is it going to be like a 2008 era, like Williamsburg hipsters? Uh, but it, it has a it has a light touch with that stuff. Just enough, just enough yeah. to 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 render this, have the situation render the whole thing silly. Yes. Um, and, 
uh, and watching him kind of like e- exploit that a little bit. And then I think that the end that you mentioned, it, I, it also starts to fail in the middle because what, what happens is Ben and Herschel, like it turns into a feud between them and he's trying, they're trying to sabotage each other and then they end up making up and that all of that kind of doesn't work for me. Yeah. It, it was like a little, I don't know, unrealistic that they would react so strongly to each other. Um, mm-hmm. Cause it isn't just about the disappointment. It's a, you know, it, it turns into like pretty full on, you know, reporting to authorities and uh, trying to ruin each other's lives. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and then, you know, with, with the kind of like sappy reconciliation uh, that, yeah, that didn't that didn't work for me either. Just the, the 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 I feel like the premise enough was alone, and I try to work into this work in the story of their relationship was the part where it kind of didn't work. Yeah, I feel like uh, this is just one of those features that feels like it would have been a really great short, mm-hmm. um, but it just doesn't have it. it you can feel it trying to sort of s- spread itself out to stretch itself into a workable feature narrative, but it just winds up. Um, kind of losing its its strength as a result it sort of is weakened by uh its commitment to pulling itself into a feature there's just not enough here mm-hmm. um so and i think that's why i'm sure like it i mean simon rich is a genius writer um and he in his he loves um finding these kinds of really abstract metaphors um that still communicate sort of like a, a universality of emotional truth and experience um, he had a, there was a, a great, um, very weird FX show based on his writing called Man Seeking Woman. Um, and, uh, and, and it, every episode had these just wild, wild, like conceits, uh, all in the service of these very sort of relatable human experiences. And so he's, I mean, he's a one of a kind writer. Um, but yeah, I think this, the mistake with this was just in attempting to turn it into a, a full feature. Uh, mm-hmm. I just, I just don't think that the, that it stuck the landing and the adaptation. What are you going to give this one? It's a consume for me. Mm, definitely consume as well. I think that there are parts of it that are so funny, especially at the beginning, oh. that it's oh, yeah. worth seeing. Uh, but you just don't expect it to be a great movie. Yeah. Um, it's available on HBO Max, and it's rated PG-13 for some language and rude humor. Movie number two is... Crip Camp. Down the road from Woodstock, a revolution blossomed at a ramshackle summer camp for teenagers with disabilities, transforming their lives and igniting a landmark movement. This one's been out for a minute. So what was the thinking again this week? We're kind of going through what are some things that are um, available for streaming that maybe we didn't review when they came out, but um, they're also it was like a light week. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of, uh, yeah, if, if, if you guys are are noticing that some of these are not sort of like the brand new streamers we usually try to focus on. Um, what has been, what's been funny about the experience of uh, the movie release calendar as we currently know it is that some things are still true, um, even though there are no theaters. And one of the things that is true is that the end of August is a graveyard for movies. <laughs> <laughs> so still true. Uh, and, uh, and the, the newer streaming releases that were, that were coming out, uh, these last few weeks of August were just the dregs. Um, and, uh, last night I did ask Rebecca if she would consider doing the one and only on uh, Disney plus, but Rebecca, do you want to say what happened? Uh, I had seen the trailer and lost it. So hard pass. Yeah. 
So uh, so we decided not to do that. And so we're doing movies that are sort of uh, movies that came out over the last few weeks that we didn't cover for whatever reason. And uh, and that seemed like they were uh, worth checking out. Crip Camp, you know, I think it's probably the oldest movie on this episode. It's been out for maybe, I don't know, two months or something. What is time? Who knows? But um, it does feel like it's been out for a minute. But I had not watched it yet. And then I mentioned it to you. And you said you've been meaning to watch it. So we watched it. And now we're ready to talk about it. Oh, I didn't watch it. Oh, okay. Well, I'll talk about just it. Just kidding. I watched it. <laughs> <laughs> All of our listeners uh, just went, oh, come on, Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you little scamp. <laughs> Sorry. So, uh, so yeah, so, so, so go right ahead. Uh, dive in. Your thoughts on Crip Camp. <laughs> now I'm committed to the idea. Didn't see it. It's a movie <laughs> on Netflix from the uh, cover art. It looks like um, a fellow in a wheelchair uh, makes best friends with another fellow. And so it's go about back in this. Time. It's about this uh, camp, see? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, It's a documentary. (laughs) Uh, It's a documentary about this camp, Camp Jeanette, in New York. And the camp was there probably from the 50s until the late 70s. And it's uh, a documentary from one of the camp's... um, uh, participants. One of the campers. One of the yeah. campers. Thank you. I'm like, <laughs> how do I reread this IMDb article <laughs> using my own words? <laughs> I suddenly, I suddenly know what every book report you ever wrote in school looked like. <laughs> so you see, the age was one of innocence. <laughs> <laughs> the times, you know. <laughs> there you were two cities, can... and they each had a tail. <laughs> <laughs> um. So uh, the, uh, the camper, uh, for some reason, the one year he was there, uh, they had a, a film crew there, and which was also very exciting to see uh, the folks at the camp seeing themselves on video and kind of remembering what it was like to not have video available all the time and for everyone not to be a subject of a video that's shared. Isn't that crazy? Was that crazy to you? Um the kids were watching themselves being because it was kind of they kind of had it going like a closed circuit television. So they were like waving at the camera and mm-hmm. to think like in 19 what was it 1971 One, early, like early 70s, early yeah. 70s. The idea that not everyone's walking around with the video camera in their pocket. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's a thought that I have frequently when I watch documentaries that have a lot of this kind of archival footage. I'm just like. I have never in my life had a camera regularly follow me around doing something. Mm. And then when you watch these movies, you're like, am I the only one who has never had a, <laughs> a part of their life where people just follow them and film them at all times? You, oh, you didn't uh, know that? No. Yeah, no. Not that I'm I aware of at least. You were an only child. <laughs> That's true. I was not. So there was no, the, the fuss, the fuss was, uh, was mainly through still photos. I mean, my, my dad definitely has a ton of, uh, of home movies that he occasionally will just film shaky phone camera footage of while we're watching and send to me. Um, so I'll just save all that and make my own movie. But in the meantime, anyway, back yes. To camp. yes. Um, so, uh, we're, we're, we're taken in by, um, uh, <laughs> I'm so bad at this. Uh, <laughs> James Abrecht. <laughs> I'd like that you were like, hurry up your anecdotes so I can go back to stammering and not knowing what to say. <laughs> Wait till I speed this up. You won't even understand it. <laughs> so 
so James Brick is guiding these uh, videographers around the camp. And so you're introduced to his life, uh, what it's like to um, have a girlfriend on camp, to be in in these bunks, to be outside of what was day to day life under the constant, you know, eye of, of parents and of of not being able to get around very easily. Uh, yeah. So, you know, essentially this archival footage is just really it's really incredible um, because there there is so much of it and it's in pretty good shape. And um, and it's just showing, um, you know, all these campers, all these young people with disabilities uh, who are, uh, you know, who heard of this this place where they could go and actually be in community with other people with disabilities. And, um, you know, and I think that, you know, obviously a big reason why this movie is so notable is because, you know, people with disabilities is, you know, one of the most underserved communities in terms of representation, um, and, uh, and, and this, this documentary is, uh, you know, a massive, massive step in the right direction in that sense. And, uh, I think, you know, it's important to the filmmakers to have that footage of, uh, of the campers in their teens, because, you know, like the things that they're talking about in this footage is not all about having disabilities. It's just about like teen stuff. You know, mm. it's about, it's about crushes and sex and, and coming of age and, you know, and so, you know, there's camp crushes and everyone, you know, hooking up and smoking. breaking up and smoking and uh, listening to rock and roll. Swimming. And yeah, like it's it's just it's just typical teenage camp stuff. And, you know, we, of course, just had a pretty in-depth teen camp review with our Yes, God, Yes <laughs> review uh, on the last episode. Um, but this also took me back to um, when I was a camp counselor, because um, both summers that I was a camp counselor at Pine Springs in Pennsylvania, um, there was a camp one week each year called MinTech, which stood for Ministry to Exceptional Campers. And it was for campers with disabilities of, uh, of all ages. And uh, and I was a, a counselor for that camp one summer. And, uh, and it, it certainly was uh, a, a one of a kind of experience in terms of all the different camps that I counseled. When I was doing that job, and uh, so this this you know gave me lots of of warm memories of that. But that's the thing that's interesting about this um, this this documentary as well is it made me think because as the movie goes on, um, it makes a huge leap into the future, and we see how this community that was formed at this camp in the seventies, um, the seeds were planted for what wound up being a very very substantial uh, sort of. Um, awakening of consciousness or like a group collective consciousness um, that led to a lot of really impactful activism in terms of, uh, of, you know, of, of making different, uh, you know, updates to city structures to make them, uh, you know, better for people with disabilities to maneuver and just sort of a general sort of like, you know, rights movement for people with disabilities. Uh, and it actually is, is mainly here in the Bay area that this plays mm -hmm. out all these years later. Uh, it's a, a lot of, uh, a lot of these campers wound up living in Berkeley and um, and so there is quite a bit of footage of um, of the of the sort of like, you know, disabled rights movement playing out all around San Francisco and Berkeley. And it all stems from this community uh, and this bond that was formed at this camp all these years ago. And it really it really shames almost every other camp experience you can think of in that <laughs> regard, because, you know, that's the thing about when you are a camper, you know, like and anyone who's ever gone to camp, you know, that you film, you know, you form this that super intense camp bond. And, uh, and particularly if you go to a camp that has any particular uh, allegiance with a particular community or ideology, you know, you come out of that camp thinking that you're going to change the world. Mm. Uh, 
that is certainly the case at the camp I worked at, Pine Springs, because it was an evangelical Christian camp. And so, you know, like it was really very strongly ideologically driven. And, uh, you know, and we really would send those campers out, you know, just swearing up and down that they were going to go change the world. And they didn't, those losers. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, just kidding, Julia, I love you. Julia is one of my campers. She listens to the show. Um, So, but in this case, they actually fucking did it. Like these campers took that seed of that that fire uh, all those years ago, and they wound up going out and actually significantly changing the world. It's a it's a really wild, inspiring story. There's this pivotal moment in the movie. I think it's really well edited, where they, you know, they start off giving you know enough of enough backstory into what the camp is and some of the experiences of the of the campers uh, before going to camp and what life was like before ADA and and what it was like to be in classes and have to and have to navigate around town. Um, and then, you know, it covers the part that you had mentioned, Jason, about crushes and smoking and rock and roll and swimming and fun and playing games. And then there's this conversation, uh, that they're recording and it's about, um, you know, what's it like living with your parents? How do you feel like your parents are, um, overprotective? And then there's this discussion about, uh, a lack of privacy being like a fundamental right that you're missing as, as a disabled individual. And it kind of jumps from there to the next part, what happens after after people leave the camp and, and starting to move into this activism. And it just shows like a group of people at like the right time in their lives. They're, you know, kind of between 15 and 20 something who are inspired. And, and this camp gives them a taste of what it's like, like to, you know, um, be able to get around and function as an adult under without, you know, the kind of the overprotective gaze of your parents or uh, school and, and they have these conversations about, uh, you know, fundamentally what they deserve. And it, it just creates this, this space and this motivation to try to take action in, in, in the world outside of camp. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, this, this documentary is, uh, it is produced by the Obamas. We should point out. It is. Uh, I didn't know that. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It's part of their, uh, their, their sort of production deal with Netflix, uh, they also previously produced the documentary American Factory last year, which mm-hmm. I can't remember if it won Best Documentary. I think it was at least nominated. It was certainly a sort of a front runner throughout award season uh, in that category. So this is another uh, another film in the uh, Obama's production deal. And it's certainly I mean, you can you can feel I mean, it doesn't take a brain surgeon to see why they are drawn to it, because it is such a strong, passionate message of civic engagement. Uh, and uh, of a community being able to come together to advocate for their own rights and their own visibility um, and to do so successfully. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it really, it, it's, you know, it's a dream uh, in that regard. Um, I would say that I was somewhat not always fully engaged by all the archival footage because even though it's in good shape, it's still very much just like black and white footage of, you know, that was shot nearly 50 years ago. Uh, and so there were times when I found myself kind of drifting uh, attention-wise during that. Uh, and then it kind of just does, you know, it jumps into that transition and just suddenly now we're many years in the future and there are adults living in Berkeley. Um, but uh, but my, minor quibbles overall mm. um, with the significance of this movie. And um, I saw a statistic while I was reading about this movie that said that uh, that one in four Americans has a disability and yet, as of 2019, uh, people with disabilities made up 
something like 2.7% of characters in films. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and that, that number, one in four, certainly made me, you know, it does make me curious how we're qualifying the word, you know, disability, because that means like one in four people that you know uh, would. But all the same, we know that this is one of the most dire areas in terms of the lack of representation. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's something that a lot of films just don't want to get into. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I hope that many filmmakers see Crip Camp and, uh, and see just the vitality, uh, the humor of, uh, you know, of, of, of its, its subjects, because, you know, like it, we really do have the wholeness of the human experience that is brought to life by, uh, you know, by these campers and their anecdotes. I mean, we have like some raunchy ass anecdotes that are told, <laughs> uh, uh, in this film. And, uh, and I'm just like, yes, good. Like a plus, like, like we need to really broaden and rethink the way that we perceive, uh, the disabled community. And I think this, this documentary does that spectacularly. Mm. I was just reading, uh, an, an interview with Steve, uh, who, uh, plays, Steve uh, on Rami. Have you ever seen Rami? I still haven't. No. Oh, it's so good. Um, and he does a lot of public speaking and um, uh, a lot of advocacy for representation in film and television as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, I think this is um, a movie where once again, if you think you navigate the world without any bias, mm. you're probably wrong. <laughs> I can't right. imagine that you you don't. Um, and it's it, I, I learned a lot about, you know, just the diversity of the disabled community and, you know, what that's how how this camp also, you know, helped this particular group of people kind of recognize that and, and give some, I don't know, like awareness and language within the community and outside of the community, um, you know, with there being like a hierarchy. Um, and it's I don't know, it's just very educational in a way that that doesn't feel condescending. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, it's 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 really special. And I feel embarrassed. It took me so long to watch it. But now we have and now we're saying that in case you haven't that we think you should, too. I'm giving this a binge it. I'm also giving it a binge it. Um, and it's available on Netflix and rated R for some language, including sexual references. Now we get on to movie number three, which is Spinster. You would think this is actually being sped up or going through it so quickly. I know. Um, After her partner breaks up with her on her 39th birthday, Gabby tackles her fears of loneliness as well as preconceptions of what it means for a woman to be single. So we have here the uh, first ever lead role starring vehicle for the great Chelsea Peretti. First one, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, You know, since she hasn't even really necessarily been... Um, acting for a super long time. You know, she came up in the stand-up world and she's a writer on Parks and Rec. And, uh, you know, it really wasn't until uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine that she had sort of an on-camera role that drew a lot of attention to her because she was Mm. really, really the stole every episode of that show while she was on it (laughs) uh, as Gina. And, uh, you know, and she has had on-camera roles on uh, other shows she wrote on, like Coral Show. Mm. She, She played... The, the female gigolo she played on Kroll Show is one of my all-time favorite characters uh, that Scott and I quote constantly. <laughs> uh, so she's always been a gift. Um, and, uh, and like many great comics before her, she is now taking a stab at doing a, a more fully fleshed out character that combines both comedy and drama. 
And and I, I for one think that she hits this one out of the park. I think this is a this is an excellent vehicle for her. I think that her, uh, you know, her sort of, uh, uh, you know, sort of sarcastic deflections um, really lend themselves well to this character, this this you know this woman uh, Gabby, who as we mentioned, as we start the film, is turning thirty nine and being dumped. Um, and really goes on a journey on her path to turning 40, uh, <laughs> reconciling, uh, just sort of grappling with these ideas of like, what does it mean that for her to be single uh, at 40? What does it mean for her to not have a child at 40? What do other people think it means? You know, and most importantly, what does it mean to her? Um, so what were you, uh, what were you thinking about when you were laughing? Uh, how funny she is. <laughs> <laughs> How perfect she was in this, how mm-hmm. um, she was the perfect person, her, yeah, her dry, um, uh, sarcastic way. It yeah, was just deadpan. so perfect in this character. And it's also really hard not to think about this movie um, as opposed to the next movie we have to review, which is I used to go mm. here. Yeah. Because they do have, you know, similar um, story attributes. And this one feels... Uh, this one feels like it comes from a better place. Um, yeah. I think a lot of the motivations for the uncertainty and the the I don't know lack of worth that the character feels comes from external sources and and less mm-hmm. from internal. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a a really charming story of a of a woman you know finding what she's good at on her own terms. And mm. not uh, relying on, you know, societal's definitions of success while also being successful. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, I would agree. Uh, this is a, this is also this is a directed by a woman named Andrea Dorfman. This is a Canadian film. Uh, and it's kind of an interesting combination because, you know, <laughs> Canadian comedies have just such a, a generally, if I might ca- uh, generalize, uh, a lighter touch to them. Um, and so for, for, for Chelsea Peretti and her sort of quintessentially American deadpan humor, uh, just sort of, uh, come in to this more kind of quaint Canadian comedy setting, uh, is a, it's a match that you wouldn't necessarily think would work, but it really, really does. It really does. Um, it was, yeah. we were laughing because, uh, we kissing a kind of seal over the end where it's like, you know. Babe, thank you for the Canadian Film Commission, or, or however it was. <laughs> and then it's like uh, the the one kind of like love interest in the movie is from Canada. <laughs> it just yes. felt like very purposeful. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, this filmmaker Andrea Dorfman is uh, is uh, she lives in Nova Scotia and she sets all of her films in Halifax and and uh, and it's very it's a point of of great pride for her as it is for many Canadian filmmakers to sort of draw attention to different locales around Canada. Um, and, uh, and I also, I was not aware that it was Canadian until I was watching it, but it really goes out of its way to make sure, you know, uh, by, by the end, <laughs> I definitely uh, thought it was Portland. <laughs> yes. It had a very Portland kind of feel to it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it, you know, it is, uh, a really sort of beautifully told, uh, coming of age story of sorts. Uh, you know, they've, 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 that age is 40 coming to the age of 40. And, uh, you know, the filmmakers have also described it as an anti-romantic comedy. And that kind of that that thought kind of popped into my head when I was watching it as well. And uh, and it is, you know, Chelsea Pretty gets to have range in this film um, in the sense that I think her her sort of deadpan um, defensiveness 
can sometimes make the the more poignant vo- moments all the more cutting and vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like for there's a scene where she has uh, hooks up with a guy, and you know, and then we see it kind of change very quickly afterward from like a a sense of like, oh, this this could be something um, to like, oh, okay, actually, the guy is just gonna leave and say his goodbyes and um you know in the way that the way that she plays those scenes um it, it feels very very honest it feels like very mm-hmm. honest and truthful um the vulnerability that she shows in those moments and since and she you know her deadpanness it plays so well because she never overdoes anything she doesn't overplay mm-hmm. anything like she is such a minimalist comedic performance but not even at all undermined by its minimalism mm-hmm uh, I would say that the movie, like the acting of the supporting cast and maybe some of the direction feels a little um, novice. Yeah. Yeah. I was definitely like, where are the actors? <laughs> um, <laughs> it is there is there is not another recognizable face in the whole thing. Uh, There's definitely I think I'm going to guess it's a local Canadian cast. Um, so I think that it was it was it suffered slightly. um from that yeah from from the other actors not being on chelsea's level energy wise mm-hmm. um and the direction was certainly very very just simple unadorned uh you know no no big flourishes but i don't know that it needed any you know um yeah, i didn't like there was some of the timing you know like mm. there was kind of some weird pauses which i guess i'm just kind of saying directing as a, as a way of saying like to make the acting better right yeah yeah, uh, it's it's a very you know it's not a masterpiece, um, but you know I I I thought it was incredibly solid, um, and uh, and yeah, and I think it does. It's certainly not the first time that we've seen a story um, about uh, you know about a, a a woman navigating romantic woes and uh, you know sort of coming out the other end of it, uh, you know stronger and smarter for the experience and opening a business. I mean, it, cer- it certainly reminded me of of bridesmaids, which we were just talking about briefly before we got in the air. Mm-hmm. Um, in that regard, even right down to the fact that she's like a you know she's a caterer, but really she's a baker and she wants to open a bakery. Um, and bridesmaids was also a bakery. Um, mm-hmm. So you know there are certainly points of that will remind you of other things you've seen, but the overall tone is so winningly low key and gentle, um, and you know Canadian. Uh, that I, that I, for one was thoroughly charmed and won over. And, uh, and, and of course, you know, at the end of the day, this is just a, a vehicle for Chelsea Peretti. And as such, I think it succeeds uh, completely. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think again, if you, if we compare it to the movie that we'll review next, I used to go here, a movie that's a little bit more polished, has a, you know, bigger cast of known faces, Mm -hmm. um, you know, has that soft filter on the lens that makes it look like, you know, it costs more to make. Uh, it's not, it's, it's not as charming and it's not as, um, uh, emotionally vulnerable as you said, as this one. And so I would say this is the better film. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I am going to give this a binge it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give it a consume plus. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't. Okay. Yeah, I figured. I, I I saw you sowing the seeds uh, of uh, of this not being a full binge for you, but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a it's a it's a binge for me. A consume plus is a totally reasonable rating to give it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, us with our arbitrary <laughs> and uh, nonsense I, ratings. I affirm it. Uh, it's available on Apple, Amazon, and Google, and it's unrated, but would probably be R for language. 
And that brings us to our last movie of the week, which we've already referenced, which is I Used to Go Here. Following the launch of her new novel, 35-year-old writer Kate is invited to speak at her alma mater by her former professor. After accepting the invitation, Kate finds herself deeply enmeshed in the lives of a group of college students. As I've already said, I hated this. <laughs> well, you didn't actually say you hated it. Uh, you said it wasn't as good as uh, Spencer. Like I but, said, uh... I hated this. No, I, I didn't. I didn't hate this, um, but I didn't like it. That's for sure. Um, and not just because you didn't realize you needed to watch it until this morning. <laughs> <laughs> just sitting there muttering the whole time like a what, stupid fucking movie. Didn't even need to watch you anyway. That's on me. I mean, you know, it's the movie that you you bring up on the TV and. And Sol and I are both like, oh, this is something we want to see. You have uh, Jermaine Clement. It's a Lonely Island production. Um, it it seems like it would be hilarious and a lot of fun. Kate Micucci's, mm-hmm. you know. Your girl. In, 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 interested. <laughs> interested <laughs> in being in it for a moment. With you, Arma Taccone. But it's a disappointment. Yeah. Yeah. Do you agree? I wasn't sure how you were going to land on this one. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I have to agree. And I'm really turned around by the whole thing because, like, its tomato meeting, or its tomato meter rating is, like, 90%, which is crazy. Really? Yeah. I, I really don't understand. I don't at all. Um, you know, I wow. felt like I felt like this was, um, you know, in in, in the sense that Spinster was a vehicle for Chelsea Peretti. This is somewhat of a vehicle for uh, Gillian Jacobs, mm-hmm. uh, who is always great in everything. Great in community, great in uh, love, uh, and and she's she's great here. Um, but you know, and and there's there's things about it that remind me of movies that I love. Um, you know, it reminds me of Young Adult. Uh, mm-hmm. It reminded me a lot of Lynn Shelton's movie Laggies. Uh, you know, any movie that's sort of about a you know, uh, uh, an adult who kind of regresses, um, you know, to uh-huh. this to a previous chapter of their life um, when faced with um, a, a conflict or a struggle they don't want to face in their current life. Um, I generally love those kinds of stories. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, and so in this we have, as you mentioned, uh, Gillian Jacobs character, Kate, who has just had a novel published and. Um, but the novel is not being received well at the beginning of the film. She finds out that her book tour has been canceled due to lack of interest. Um, and then she gets absolutely slammed by a New York times review. Um, but, uh, her alma mater and her former lit professor contact her and ask her to come and do a reading at her school back in Illinois. And so she's like, I will take it. Um, you know, like you're going to make me feel special and like I accomplished something, even though I'm like floundering. So, um, and, uh, you know, and then from there, there are, you know, sort of uh, twists that I you see coming a mile away. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, there's every, like, I'm not normally a person who's like guessing what's going to happen in the movie. But in this one, like each and every single thing that comes to pass, I'm like, well, yeah, obviously <laughs> that's that was that was that was not a surprise. Um, you know, we have this kind of forced labored uh, storyline where Kate is staying at a B&B, but loses the key right away. And the proprietor like just refuses to give her a, a backup key. And so she keeps like crashing at this like frat house across the street um, with a bunch of random guys. And, uh, and just, you know, you get the hint, you know, she's she's mm-hmm. regressing. She's going back to her college self. 
Um, and, uh, you know, I, and there were, there were parts of it that, that did remind me of like any time that, you know, we go back to our, uh, you know, stomping grounds or like, you know, if I was back on the Kent campus, I'd be calling my friends just like she's constantly calling her one pregnant friend to be like, oh my God, I'm here right now. You won't believe it. Mm-hmm. So like there, there, there are pieces of it that are very relatable and very true to life. But, you know, then as, as the story progresses in terms of her getting really involved in the personal lives of these, of these college students, uh, and, you know, going on some sort of ill-advised, uh, uh, quests together that are just, well, just, it certainly had me going, come on, you guys wouldn't do that. Right. Um, it, it, it's, it kind of ruins the experience. It goes a little too big and broad with some of these kind of comedic set pieces, um, it ultimately doesn't have much insight into any of its characters except for Kate. Um, everyone else is kind of one note. Um, you know, the, the, these young actors are charismatic enough and I was, uh, you know, the Domain Clement of it all playing this, this professor who, who we get the sense pretty quickly on is perhaps a bit of a lech. Mm-hmm. I thought that it was going to go a lot harder and kind of more political in that storyline about, you know, it's going to make it more of a me too, that there's this guy who's been like preying on female students, right. uh, you know, all these years, but it ultimately kind of really takes it easy on him. Um, and, uh, which I wasn't totally down with. And, uh, and, and, and at the end of it, it's just kind of a, it's just kind of a shrug, uh, yeah. you know, like it's, it's really, uh, you know, so it had like little moments that really were evocative or captured that experience of going back to your, your alma mater, going back to your hometown, whatever it may be. Um, you know, there's a scene where they all go to a lake that felt very, it felt very like real to me. Like, oh yeah, that feels like just an actual day trip you would take in college or with college people. Um, very college, but you know, it was just kind of like, yeah, I don't know why I'm watching this. Like it just, mm-hmm. it just, you know, it reminded me of those other movies and those other movies just wound up being a lot better. Like it, 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 it compared itself unfavorably, uh, to those movies that have gone before them. I think I like it. I, I, I think I dislike it for different reasons than you do. Oh, um, go on. And that I found the, like, you know, the, the little cast of college students very charming and fun and mature and mm-hmm. this like th- the main character kate her motivations or lack of and just complete selfishness and the way she has no like sense of worth outside of this kind of like boyfriend and then she kind of comes here under this like kind of romantic idea for the jimmy clement character and it is is really kind of being blown around it has sacrificed her dignity in, in like career wise and romance and is not a good friend i found that to be really tiring and old throughout the movie mm-hmm. and then i was just kind of like excited about the the college students <laughs> i was wanted to hear more <laughs> about what they were doing going what was going right. on with them right. um mm-hmm. and yeah i was really upset by the way that they treated jemaine clements um you know what do they call it like a uh, a professional lapse in judgment like <laughs> yes i think we've come to a point where we know that it's so much more than that um right and they it's didn't really enough. address that at all no the extent to which he's been perhaps like systematically grooming young women to be his you know lovers all these years despite this power dynamic and age right. difference and then he even says something where he was like well if it's about the power dynamic she's so much more talented than i am then it's not right. a thing and it's like that's not yeah. how it works buddy yeah, no. Um, yeah, that part was all very blue. 
Um, you know, in terms of what you're saying about the character of Kate, like that actually makes me think that I like it more because I appreciate that, like, you know, the character is not meant to be the good guy. You know, Kate's the protagonist, but she's not the good guy. Like she walks in there with just like a, a wounded ego and has just like allowed herself to become so far removed from who she was when she was in college. And I think that, you know, in a way it reminds me of Crip Camp. Um, because it's sort of about that, you know, how can you carry that, you know, that excitement and idealism and integrity of your youth into your adult life? Mm. And in Crip Camp, we see it happen successfully. But in this, we see the more perhaps familiar version of that story uh, where, you know, you go out into the real world and then you gradually lose your idealism and are battered down by rejection and just will take what you can get. And then you go back to college and you talk to somebody who has that idealism and you just kind of laugh in their face like you're going to fail, buddy. Mm. Uh, I don't know if you know anything about the real world, but all this shit you're talking about, it's not going to happen. Um, and there's a specific conversation that happens in this movie between Kate and a character who's meant to sort of be the younger version of her. Um, and uh, and it kind of, you know, leads to Kate being, you know, realizing that she's the one who's in the wrong in this mm. and that she maybe has given up on herself uh, in a way that she didn't need to snooze fest (laughs) (laughs) oh my god (laughs) yeah 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 and this is uh yeah it's written and directed by a woman named chris ray uh and i guess it's filmed at her exact alma mater so it also feels you know somewhat autobiographical for her um and this is by far sort of like the broadest kind of comedy that she's tried to make um but yeah like i i really at the end of it I was just like so unmoved. I was like, mm-hmm. I was, you know, it just hits a lot of really obvious twists and turns and none of it felt particularly fresh. Um, it didn't feel particularly bold or insightful or funny even. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really just media. It's just mediocre. And I, I think since we have both of them out right now, take that time and see Spencer because I'm yeah. giving, I used to go here and send it back. Wow. I would give it uh, like a consume minus. I don't know if I can bring myself to go full send it back on this, but I will. I was kind of just palpably irritated watching it. Um, (laughs) That's not enough of a reason to send it back. (laughs) I guess I just, I just, I just, you know, I just can't help but root for like, I'm so glad to see, you know, Gillian Jacobs have a lead role and that she did, she did play it really well, you know, Uh, like there in the moments of discomfort in the movie, I really felt like pretty deep. Um, so yeah, I'm going to stick with the consume minus. Look, I broke out in hives, but I'm giving it a binge. <laughs> you know, like it was, systems of ratings remain arbitrary. Fair enough. Um, it's available on Apple, Amazon, and Google. Um, also unrated, but would be R for language and sexuality. Thank you so much for listening. So quick. Yeah. Jason. Zip right through it. Zip right through it. Um, I'll have to slow down the re- recording and editing then to stretch it out. So <laughs> yeah. be prepared for I think it's how that works. Yeah, you're going to yeah. take the American pickle approach. I'm just, just going to uh, say they all have to be like you know, an hour long. And if it means I need to speed it up or slow it down, <laughs> figure it out. Um, thank you so much for listening. Jason, good luck to you and all your endeavors. <laughs> Likewise. Thank you. My eyebrows are... <laughs> I didn't. I thought it'd be weird to brag at the time, but they're growing out beautifully. Everyone, just consult uh, Rebecca's Instagram. Um, all she does now is post pictures of her eyebrows. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going with bangs next week, so wish me luck. <laughs>
Um, you're not going to be happy, and then you're just going to braid the bangs into the eyebrows. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, no, uh, my eyebrows will have bangs. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. Yep, 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 yep. No, I'm going I think I think that's the look. I think that you're going to be Zoe Deschanel to it even. Uh, thank you. So always ahead of the curve you are. Thank you. Um, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Jason is on Twitter at excess baggage. I'm at Bite Balance. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There goes the binge. binge.